Welcome to the OpStars podcast, where we talk to revenue operations pros at the top of their game so that we can collectively support each other through the sharing of ideas, learning best practices, and discovering innovative new strategies. I'm your host, Don Opfos. We're getting excited about OpStars 2023, so we thought it would be fun to revisit some of last year's sessions before we head to the San Francisco Mint to do it again this year. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our panel discussion on core versus context, uh, the most important components of any tech stack. Um, with this group, I would normally say silence your phones, but I think Slack notifications would be, would be a better uh, way to go. Um, so to introduce myself quickly, uh, I'm Joss Poulton. I'm VP of Operations at UserGems, um, and I'll be moderating today. Um, so uh, this is a, a topic that I'm very passionate about. So I started my career uh, at HubSpot and watched our tech stack grow from supporting a little 80-person company to a 1,500-person public enterprise. Um, and then I went to another SaaS startup, Onshape, where I was the first ops hire and had to build a, a tech stack from scratch. Uh, and then we were acquired and had to integrate with this new company's enterprise tech stack. And now I get to do it all over again at UserGems, uh, where I'm the first ops hire. So I think uh, RevOps, we're always thinking about uh, new tools, new processes, how to balance um, all of those things, and what the right tech stack is for your company at its stage. Um, so given how challenging it is to build a tech stack that works and solves your business needs, which we all know are changing, um, I think ops teams are often struggling to pour the foundation of the house at the same time they're being asked to decorate and add furniture um, and dealing with lots of competing priorities. Um, so our goal today is to talk about how to plan out your tech stack strategy and considerations when you're taking on new tools and new products. Um, so I am so excited to introduce our panel. Um, who I know will bring great perspectives. Um, something that's unique about uh, the three companies that these folks are at is that they uh, are both RevOps consumers buying things for themselves and RevOps vendors. So uh, we need all of us, all four of us, need RevOps teams to implement the products that we sell. So I think we have a cool perspective on both sides uh, of the vendor relationship. Um, so first I will introduce Karen, Karen Stath here who's a, a Bay Area local and uh, works for the conversational marketing software company Qualified, uh, where he's VP of Revenue Operations. Um, Karen previously led sales ops at Get Feedback um, prior to its acquisition by SurveyMonkey. Uh, and post-acquisition, he became the global head of uh, business development and sales ops uh, at SurveyMonkey. Um, next up, we have uh, Melanie Fillet, who originally hails from the Bahamas. Um, but has headquartered her team in Denver, Colorado, which is a little different. Um, she's the CEO and co-founder of Speckit, um, a just-in-time learning platform uh, that enables teams to find the information they need uh, within their flow of work. Um, so Mel co-founded Speckit with uh, Zari Zara to solve a simple challenge. Um, how do we make sure employees know what they need to know, where they need to know it? Um, this year, they raised a $45 million Series B, just nine months after uh, its $12 million Series A. So huge congrats to Mel and the team. Um, and as a past user, I can say Speckit's an amazing tool um, that you should all check out. Um, and then finally, uh, you might have noticed uh, Christine isn't here. 
Um, we have uh, Trent with us um, and very excited to have him. Trent hails from Atlanta, Georgia, um, and he is RevOps manager at Maxio, which is a, a revenue and subscription management platform uh, that came out of the recent merger between SaaS Optics and Chargeify. Um, and I think Trent brings a really cool perspective having been a BDR uh, early in his career. I always love seeing BDR to RevOps career paths. Um, so with that, we want this to be a really free-flowing conversation. So I had some questions to kick us off, but we want it to be conversational. And we'll save uh, 10 minutes at the end for audience questions, too. Um, so I figured to kick us off, we would start from the top. So when I joined UserGems as the first RevOps hire, I did a tech stack audit and tried to figure out what's happening today and what that gap is between what the business needed. Um, so. Our esteemed panel, what would be your advice to somebody uh, in RevOps that maybe just joined a company or was asked to do an audit of their whole tech stack? Um, where would you start and how would you approach that? All righty. I think one of the first things that I would be looking at is really understanding like how that organization, the people, the leaders, how are they making decisions? How do they want to consume that information? Okay, um, And where is that? Uh, you know, some organizations that I've been at, there's a mixture of things. This single source of truth could be in Salesforce. This could be in a, you know, a hard file that's not talking to anything in Excel. Really understanding kind of what's going on, where are all the disparate sources of like information and where do we want that single source of truth to be? Um, I typically work at companies where we want all of that living inside of Salesforce and that can inform sheets data models, BI tools in real time. And it's really identifying like where we want that information, how we want to consume it, and centering everything around that foundation, right? If your single source of truth is going to be in Salesforce, you wanna be looking for tools, solutions um, that are in that ecosystem that are gonna fully integrate and, and, and kind of deliver what the leaders and uh, stakeholders need. Love it, yeah, and in addition to that, I'd say I'd talk to the reps, talk to the users. I think that's often a step that's overlooked, but so, so critical to understanding, like not just, you know, what is the perception of these tools? What is it? Like, you can look at the utilization. You can look at how many licenses are being used. That's one piece. The other piece is like, do you, are you getting value from these tools? Are you actually, you know, saving time in your day-to-day? -day? Is this adding work to your plate or is this actually helping you save time? Um, and my last company, my whole inspiration for the, the tool initially started because we'd implemented Salesforce and like every app you can think around it. Um, and we had basically no adoption at all. It was not a traditional tech company, like very non-tech folks. So real estate brokers and trying to get them into Salesforce was a challenge. And, uh, you know, we were about to completely get rid of Salesforce because that's what the C-level team had decided. And I was an ops, not revenue ops. And the CEO came to me. He's like, hey, can you take a look and, and, and get, a, get a sense of what's going on here? And the first thing I did was go talk to all my colleagues, talk to the actual end users and understand, like, why are you using this? And what would be, like, if we could do this? And they were like, well, if we could do this, it'd be really cool. And so identifying those quick wins to then help you consolidate your stack is super important um, in just making sure that you're building something that's going to be valuable. How are you looking at usage? I mean, I think the first one was just like basic activation. Um, and those stats, I actually had a really hard time trying to determine like what is a good standard of utilization for tools. I even think still today, like even when we look at our own customers, right? Like what should your adoption goal be, right? Because even Salesforce, like their own activation, their own day-to-day -day adoption is not where you want to be. And that's like the CRM. 
So what should the right metrics be from an adoption standpoint, I think is really, really hard. And that's where I really rely on the users. It's like, how often are you going in? Are you getting the value you need? And then looking at the data and seeing if it pairs um, and if it matches. Yeah, I mean, exactly what you two said. I, you do want to look at the tools. You, I would say like find the tools that the teams are using, break them down into their categories, check for redundancy. And if tools are being utilized to their best, not even just by adoption of the teams, but like the integration, how they interplay with each other. Are you like in tech debt of like using the same tool, doing something different? Are you doing the same thing, but using multiple tools? And then I love the piece about, you know, go to the user and the directors of those teams and say, okay, how are you using it? Are the teams using it, right? Because I think if anyone's that try to track down the utilization of a tool, it's not that easy to figure out. You know, a lot of tools don't want to give that up front of how much you're using licenses in those tools and how it's adopted. Um, so I think like going to the core people and say, okay, well, why aren't you using it? You know, like what's the reason? And then just hearing from them and then start to assess if, you know, if it's the right tool. Um, and then what is the overall, you know, ROI of that tool? Like, are you really getting what you thought you would when you went to go purchase it? Is it solving that problem? And that comes from talking to the leaders that are using the tool daily. Yeah, and, and one thing I'd add to is just like the maturity, like just of the operations of the company. I think a lot of teams, and we definitely made the mistake in my last company, was buying a lot of tools to solve our problems before we'd actually figured out what the underlying processes were, right? And so when you buy these tools, but you don't actually really understand the process that's required to make that tool useful, right, you you're going to end up with those challenges. And so really looking to understand, and that's where I think speaking to leadership is the most important piece is really understanding like, what are we really trying to accomplish, right? From a process, like where are we weak? Where are we strong? Where are the gaps? Where are mistakes happening? And then to your point, what are the data points that we actually care about in our funnel? Because it's so easy. Like I made the mistake early on when I built Salesforce to like want to track every data point on our opportunity. And like we weren't getting obviously opportunities filled out to the to extent we needed and like just went through a whole purge of our opportunity record and like looking at, okay, what are the couple fields that are actually going to help us make the decisions that we need? So talking to leadership, understanding like what are the most critical decisions we're going to want to be making over the next year and what data is going to help inform that to narrow that down. Yeah, I, I really love the uh, mention of like business processes, right? Because it's easy to talk about a tech stack it's just like a bunch of logos and systems we use, but what are the actual um, things happening behind the scenes, the handoffs as data and process flows across systems, it becomes hard. Um, and something that I did uh, when I joined UserGems was give us a grade on a whole bunch of different topics, right? Because as a new Red Apps person, we need to communicate to the other leaders who um, we want to kind of hit them over the head with uh, the areas where we think the company needs to focus, right? And people, uh, people's eyes are quickly drawn to the things that you give a D or an F on, right? And, and to me, it's not uh, a D or an F in context of just this tool and how well it's being used. It's for a Series A startup. How mature do you need to be in terms of segmentation, in terms of the way that you do nurturing, right? Which is going to be very different from a late stage company. Um, and that's where I think the grading is helpful, where it's like, how are we doing in this area for where we need to be today, um, which is hard. Um, it, something else that I've struggled with um, as an ops person is trying to uh, prioritize some ops projects, right? So we, 
I think a lot of us are people pleasers and we have all these stakeholders uh, that uh, are giving us all these asks, but we are also stakeholders as an ops team. Um, so maybe for uh, Kieran or Trent, um, how are you trying to prioritize those maybe um, less flashy, exciting projects that you know need to happen um, for your companies, given where you're at? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, we operate under at Qualified under uh, the VitaMall method. So similar to like OKRs, but everything that we do on a quarterly basis and an annual basis, like we define the vision, the methods, the obstacles, and the measures of like how we're going to get there. We have a company level V2 mom, and then we have team level like V2 moms. And actually, in every single individual also has you know a V2 mom as well, where they define their vision, measures, obstacles, um, and methods. Every single vision, we actually like tie the methods and obstacles, measures down to an individual. So at the beginning of every quarter or time period, like we know exactly like what we are responsible for. I'm looking at Vivek who like run, you know, runs our system side. Like he's tied to every single V2 mom uh, or every single uh, individual's V2 mom in one way or another. And at the beginning of the quarter, we recognize the dependencies, the obstacles he's going to face, and we then prioritize. Um, and we just do a priority one through 10 usually. Um, that can change week over week. You know, sometimes things are, are moving, prioritize, deprioritize, but we really stick with the, the V2 mom framework to help us prioritize. Yeah, I mean, RevOps, something's always on fire, right? Um, and so you you have these projects that you want to dive into, but, you know, when core tenets of, uh, of things aren't working right, you have to push those aside. And I think something that we're talking a lot right now about is, so, you know, we're on the OKR model, but we're really starting to get into it more. Um, something a new CEO was like, we want to be better at this. So we are working on that, but something we want to start shifting to is that proactiveness in the projects versus just always being reactive. Now that we're through like the crazy part of our merge, um, it's we're looking to be more vision forward and those special projects because I think we've gotten really good to this timeline of like everything we've done is that we help so many different teams. Like we not just sales or marketing, we do CS and we do executive and everything, right? And it's how like figuring out now, like how do you respond to requests and ask from teams and look at them and say, okay, well, the company OKR is X, Y, Z. You're asking me for A. It's a great project. I see it. Setting that expectation of we need to go through these first. And then when we hit that, we'll definitely work on this for you. But right now we all need to be focused on this. And I think those side projects, you still need to find room for it because people need something they're excited about. Not always just the grind of like the, the you know, those X, Y, Z. Um, but you have to do it correctly. And I think it's all about expectation and setting, setting that for the teams you're helping. Yeah, I think just in terms of some of those unsexy ops projects, I think it's important to create a little bit of a culture within your ops team that like every quarter or every six months, just like in regular engineering teams, they tackle tech debt. I think it's important to build that into your culture. So for example, recently we've been like implementing a lot of tools and automating all sorts of things. And like, there's always more that we could be doing to automate our processes internally. Like we don't have like an automated um, like quote creation process or like CPQ implemented. Frankly, that's not where we're feeling the pain, but that's a very obvious area of a place that we could have implemented something. But instead, our ops team was like, you know what, we're going to do what we call Project Janus. Um, and they actually basically went through and like cleaned up 
outreach. We ended up like after five years having like 160 sequences or something. And like, obviously not all of them were effective. Not all of them had the right messaging. And like, they took that on and like really took a step back. Now that we know our personas, our ICPs, et cetera, looking at like, okay, if we were to rebuild this from scratch, how would we approach it? Who would we reach out to? What are the executive versus, you know, mid-level and completely went through and overhauled that. And I think the impact that project's going to have on our actual effectiveness as a team is significantly more than the cooler project of going out and implementing something new. So just making sure that as an ops team, like figuring out how to really pitch those kinds of projects to sales leadership, to senior leadership is super important too. So just something to think about. I think the one thing I, I wanted to add as well is each of our ops leaders marketing ops, sales ops, customer operations, like they are tied to the highest level, like number it is in their comp plan. This is, you know, how they're paid. So if we're looking at marketing, like on a daily basis, like their job is to hit a pipeline target and a stage two target, right? An ACV number in uh, sales ops and for customer operations, like they're focused on GRR and NRR. So while we have the framework, you know, much like the OKR, the V2 mom that's like steering us, we also are focused on these like goals that we have to hit at the end of the quarter, which I think makes it easier to like break away from like the big projects on a weekly, daily basis as needed so that we can support our leaders, business partners, and actually achieve our targets. And one last thing, um, a helpful exercise that we've done. We don't, we've, we started with V2 mom, switched away. We actually want to go back to it. But um, anyway, we, we took a similar kind of OKR approach, but at the bottom I had every one of our executive leaders fill out like, what are you not doing this quarter? And I think being very explicit of asking your teams to call that out is so important because that way, like you're very clearly highlighting, like here are the projects we're not going to do. And if there's a big debate around that, or if there's dependencies for other teams, like it makes it a lot easier to like help you narrow down your priorities. Cause it's so easy to focus on like, here are all the things we need to do. Let's prioritize that. But what are you very intentionally choosing not to do matters just as much. I love that so much. Um, and we at User Gems were actually, RevOps is the team that is running the OKR process, which at least on the go-to-market side is so helpful because we kind of know what's realistic and what's achievable and are trying to toe that line. Um, Mel, you mentioned earlier that um, there's always more you can do with ops and with systems. So um, I'm sure we have a lot of ops folks here that um, would love more resources. So what would be your advice to a RevOps leader who wants to make a case for more resources? Like what's the best way to pitch your CEO that you need more help? Is it communicating a roadmap? Is it talking about all the things that we're not doing? And, you know, if we just had this, you know, we could, we could get there. A couple things. I think one, it's just really important to understand like your executives like buy into RevOps enablement as a whole. Like some executives are at different levels of maturity in terms of like their appreciation for it. Like coming from a RevOps background, our ratio of operations to your traditional kind of go-to-market individual contributors is actually pretty um like we have a larger RevOps team than expected. And that's because my perspective is hey, if we automate, if we bring efficiency, if we have like best and breed kind of messaging, positioning, sequences, et cetera, like we will drive more results. I worked for a team previously where that was not at all the case. Like everything I was doing, I had to fight for. for so the first piece is like, if you're new to an org, like really understanding that like at a culture level and at the, and at the CEO's level is just the first piece I'd try and get as much intel on. Um, the second piece, like I, 
I'm always going to look for, like, if there is a technology before an additional resource. I'm also going to look at if there is a potential service rather than resource. Like, I really think that, and this is my personal um, opinion, but, like, more resources does not always equal to more results. So um, I'm a usually harder sell on that piece um, when it comes to like wanting to add more people to take on more projects. So I'm just going to caveat with that first. Um, when it comes to asking for more resources, I think it's really important to be clear around like, what are we not doing today that if we could would make a very meaningful difference on the things that I care about right now? So this wasn't a resource ask. This was a recent uh, tech purchase ask, but our team wanted Clary. And I was like, we've got Salesforce. We have not really had any big challenges when it comes to our pipeline forecasting. Like, why do we need Clary? And um, they were able to type basically the way that they pitched it to me, right, because it was a significant investment was, hey, what we're trying to get to as our goals get bigger and bigger with the board, like you want to be able to go into that, those board meetings with as much confidence as possible that we're going to be able to hit the goals that you're, that you're setting with the board. Clary is going to be able to not only give you more of that confidence, but ensure that like we're not missing out on opportunities because our teams aren't like actively managing the dozens of opportunities they're managing at once, right? And so the way they pitched it to me and the cost and the ROI was really focused on like, what is my goal? And like tying it back to that versus, and which is why the V2 mom is really helpful and not just like, hey, rep productivity, efficiency, et cetera, which is just, I think, a little bit hard to do. Um, on the resources piece, frankly, I'm going to defer because that's not one that I get, I get pitched uh, recently on. And it's one that I've frankly approved uh, generally speaking. So I'm going to pass it on to see if there's any better, uh, better advice there. Yeah. Um, always want more resources. No, um, I would say like what we've been good at, especially like pitching to the executive team of why, you know, RevOps is worth the money. And we have a rather large team as well. There's 10 of us uh, well, with our data team, somewhere around 10. And uh, something that our VP Liz has done really well is proving what we have been doing really well and showing like, yeah, we're not flashy, but we've touched all of this. So like things like we have ticketing system for the RevOps team, right? And we're able to show, we are able to knock out all this many tickets, but we can't get to these projects because of this. I think when you're going to ask for that resource, you want that data of saying, our team is working at 110%. If we could have this another headcount here, or if we can have this tool that can be, you know, help alleviate some of that time, then we could work, we would only be at 90%. We could take that 10% to start doing those bigger projects and things like that. So I really think it's just providing that data around what you've done successfully. Because as everyone knows, like probably a lot of people in this room, RevOps doesn't really get seen unless something's not working. And they don't really know what we do all day. Um, even if you have a great leader that is on the, you know, a CEO or something that understands RevOps, but a lot of time they come from a different background. Uh, so prove, just proving them what you're doing on the daily business and, and why you need that resource is uh, it's probably how you can get around getting that new resource. Yeah, I, I agree with, with both. Um, I think one thing that I like to do is really center it around ROI. And I do this via like a funnel. Um, I think that every role uh, specifically inside of like operations can be broken down to a funnel. Um, 
let's stick with the ticketing example, right? And let's pretend we have a RevOps team that has a ticketing system and then it's, you know, uh, routed to either sales ops, marketing ops, or customer ops. I'd be looking at things like what's our response time to these like tickets based on like priority buckets and like like what's the impact on our like longer response time if it is is taking longer and just like kind of like show this funnel and uh, really like highlight the pain like put put the executive that's you know making that decision with you like right there like hey you wanted like you're blind in this area you needed this you've been asking about this for weeks and um, this is what's going on right now inside of our marketing operations funnel or inside of our customer support funnel you're seeing our CES customer effort score is actually going up, which means that as, as customers are like submitting these tickets to us, we are we have a more complex process. We're taking longer to respond to these. And if we had this resource, we would be able to drop our response time down to X and increase our CES score by Y. And I think that by making them kind of see that funnel, feel the pain, and also helping them understand like, hey, this is where this is what you want from this function that we're not getting right now we can kind of build that ROI um, case and kind of make them feel that operational pain that they might not be fully aware of. I'm curious, when it comes to ROI, uh, and I just came out of another session over there that was talking about this, but I'm curious around like how you typically paint ROI um, on a project like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, like capital specs, uh, CapEx, OpEx, right? Is I'm breaking it down in like one of two ways. Um, Vivek uh, is, is our admin and like systems manager. He ran a CPQ implementation, you know, by himself this entire year and had a baby. Um, it was an example of uh, capital expense and operational expense. Okay, uh, we had our you know primary like admin and systems manager heads down on a CPQ project, and then we had to have marketing ops and other staff actually get more involved in other like admin type projects so that we could make everything happen this year. Um, and that's an example of like how I would have like looked at ROI from a capital expense, but also an operational expense, right? Because we're not doing other things to like move the business forward. And that's how I'd be able to say, if we had this resource, like sure, we've got capital expense associated with that, but here is how that expense is offset um, by how we kind of get to move forward. It's always gonna boil down to time, project completion, you know, like, like I always kind of say, like, if we did NPS on staff, right? If I did net promoter score on like one of my op, my ops leads, what would everybody say about you? And that's an example of like, and uh, ROI in my example is, hey, your business partner is going to give you a ten instead of a five. I'm curious, how often do you two like do some sort of like a survey to the broader kind of like teams that you support to get that feedback? or to be able to use that, frankly, as a tool of like, you know, hey, here's like our measure of success or reputation within the org, here are the biggest asks that are coming through. Like, have you guys built that into your DNA yet? Um, and that's not something I did at my last company, but that's something that we recently started doing on the employee engagement side that I think can be an effective kind of additional tool. We are not doing like a RevOps specific survey. It's a great idea though, we should like, and, and you know, RevOps is a new model for qualified. Like we moved to this at the beginning of our fiscal year, which was like February this year. And we've done, a, I think, a pretty decent job of like educating the company and our leaders on like what this type of like function and, and motion kind of, you know, looks like. Um, but we need to do more retrospects at the end of the quarter, like that, that kind of, I think, 
are in line with that V2 mom. How do we do? What do we miss? How do our business partners like feel about us? We also do do like team specific uh, engagement surveys, which do talk about like cross-functional support. It's not necessarily like 100% pointed at like RevOps, um, but we can get some nuggets from that. I think that we should be doing a far more like pointed survey um, and analysis like uh, across the teams that we support just to make sure that our customers are happy. And that's the way we run our business is we look at our business partners like they are our customer. Yeah, I, I won't say we have like an official survey that goes out to the teams, but um, so my VP who's here, uh, uh, she she sits on the ELT. And so we have a, you know, that, that voice in the room. And I think she definitely solicits feedback from those leadership teams of how do you feel like we're being responsive to your needs? Did we, have we been solving this how you want it? Um, and getting the feedback because I talk about it all the time, but if your RevOps team loses the trust and the respect, and then the delivery, like the, just like behind deliverability and, and having that voice, then we're not going to be effective. And especially the way that we're set up. So having that feedback from those leaders and those managers of those teams saying like, these projects were handled well, this is great, this works better, or it's not how we expected. And having that voice in the room and she gets that great feedback and always pushes it back to us. Um, it's kind of how we keep a litmus of, are we doing the right thing? Where are we, you know, focusing and, and who can we help better, right? Um, and with the ticketing thing that we were talking about is it, when they submit the ticket, they have to say what team they're on and who's going to impact, right? So then we have that data of like, wow, this, this month or this quarter, 40% was CS. We are not focusing on them enough. Now, do we need a CS ops person or do we need to reshift projects to make sure they're being taken care of because we've been so focused on marketing and sales, right? So it's kind of like, I think that also helps because they're going to feedback and say, why did it take two weeks to get back to me or something like that? So it all kind of plays in together. Um, and that comes from having like great open context when you're in those, those big rooms with the leaders. I think you can get to ROI from that too, right? Melanie, to your point. So hey, we had like 60 tickets that dwelled way above our like response time. And we also saw our NRR and GRR rates like go down. Like, you know, this quarter we identified less expansion and some of these projects were actually going to help identify expansion opportunities like X, Y, and Z. Um, so it's another way that you can get really close to ROI. Going back to the ROI, I just thought of two things. One, to answer the question you asked me earlier about resources, because I thought of an example recently. Um, just curious here to get a pulse. Like, how many of you work for teams that have a dedicated CS ops person? Cool. Get it, getting there. So that was something that um, I didn't have experience having directly on our team. And so when that was first proposed to me, I was like, we already have three people in our RevOps enablement team. Like we're still a relatively smaller CS work. Like do we really need to hire an additional headcount for that team? And that's when, you know, they showed to me at the time, like about 25% or more of our revenue was coming from expansions. And that was like without us having any sort of like a real system that allowed us to like drive more results. So what was painted to me was like, hey, we want to implement, you know, ACS platform. We ended up going with Catalyst, which frankly, I cannot recommend enough. Uh, and they're like, listen, if we implement Catalyst, we're going to be able to pull in all our product usage data. We're going to be able to pull in all our Salesforce data and all this other stuff and be able to actually start measuring, you know, our most successful customers, identifying like our attachment rate. So they use that as, as a means. Anyway, so they they did present kind of like what that roadmap would look like, why a resource was needed. Uh, and I ended up 
approving. Uh, and we've been able to like track some very clear results from that. Um, I mean, even just yesterday, our, our director of CS sent me like what seems like such a small win, but he showed me that like just from this campaign that we ran off of all our catalyst data um, to help our admins with the activation, we were able to improve by 1%, which was like 700 licenses in, you know, a month of doing that, right? So like those small things, like 1% was enough to justify that entire piece for us. So anyway, just going back to that, like that's where like those little metrics, like the more metrics you are tracking even on that CS side, and we've seen our expansion rate drive last quarter 40% of our revenue. Like that's a huge, huge, huge driver for us. And so being able to tie that back to like, what are the metrics that, you know, we care the most about and how is that going to ultimately help us, help us get there is, is a simple way. If, and then this is a case that was made to you for the, for the 1%? Just to me about this. So, no, that was just recently. They proved to me uh, that like, oh, by the way, like we just did this campaign and here's, but it was originally, we didn't have a CFs ops person. We also didn't have Catalyst or anything in place, but they knew that like our expansion rate um, and our NRR was a huge reason that like our Series B was frankly easier than it could have been because we saw a lot of expansion within accounts and they're like, hey, we're not even really doing any of the things to drive expansions. Like if we were, if we had the data, if we had all this th these things, here's how we could be driving more expansions. Here's also how we could get ahead of like potential churn in accounts that aren't as successful. But in order for us to implement that, we're going to need someone to own that, that entire funnel. We also now just implemented outreach for our CS team. And so that's how they've been able to like really pitch these additional kind of products, but also the resource that was needed to implement those. If, if they came back in six months and they were like, hey, we could actually get it to 2% now. So we you know, originally made the case it was 1%, that was achievable. And hey, six months later, we, we want to double down and continue doing this with the same business case and ROI suffice, or do you want them to look at it differently? So the the business case was around driving expansions. The the 1% was like a side piece, which was just the activation rate. So it was like kind of a bonus, like proof point on a recent outreach campaign that we'd done around it. Um, I think it would really just, I'd have to look at like what our goals are as a company. And like right now, our big focus is on new logos, right? Expansions, I'm like, okay, we're at a good place. Like ideally you always want more expansions. You always want more dollars, but like that's not my top priority. My top priority right now is like, hey, let's drive new logos so that we can drive more expansions. Mm. So in terms of resources, I'd probably be more likely to look at like, okay, what are the resources we need on our go-to-market side, on our sales side, excuse me, to drive those new logos versus more resources on expansion. So it really just depends on what our top priorities are. Um, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and, and as we think about ROI, there's also the exponential nature of subscription business, right? Where that one change you did is going to give you benefits and dividends, right? Of all that new business that you're bringing in, which I think is really cool. Um, Trent, something that you said earlier was, um, and when I was catching up with you uh, before this panel, you said you woke up to some fires today and, you know, we're all used to those fires. So I loved your, um, I loved your example of using um, tickets and cases to show, hey, you know, your RevOps team is actually spending 70% of their time doing user support, right? Which I think ties back to that, how to ask for more resources. So my big question is, um, I've, I've experienced in the past that there's like some pieces of technical debt that everyone knows is like a huge glaring problem, right? But can just keep taking more and more time and it never gets fixed. My question is, how does that happen? And what can we do as RevOps to try to again, get focus and alignment on, on fixing that thing, because it's kind of the opposite of that ROI dividends, right? Where this one glaring problem can 
create, it can just get worse and worse, right? And maybe for you at CPQ, doesn't sound like it is now, but you know, it could be uh, later. So how, how can we kind of rally the team when everyone knows that this is a problem, but it just never gets fixed? Yeah, um, I, think, I think it's important to know that we've all inherited tools that uh, we didn't want. Uh, literally was talked about in the last session I was in saying the same thing. Somebody liked a flashy logo, somebody made a deal under the table, something, and now you're stuck with this, right? Um, I think, I think kind of hit it with the ticketing. It's like, if you can go to the person who is hell bent on that tool and say, Hey, you're allocating X amount of resources from this team to constantly let this tool work. Your adoption rate within your team is not very good. Um, and it's not, maybe not solving it right. And it's a headache. And if we could either move away from that tool or allocate resources to make it better and allow it to rebuild the connection with it or whatever, um, to, so that it is usable, I think it's, you know, kind of the direction there. Um, because at the end of the day, I just feel like it's inevitable. You're always going to have something you don't want on your tech stack or you're locked in for many years. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. It's, um, uh, you're spending 70%. We talk about this a lot too, is, is the, the proactive again, being reactive. And if you're always playing reactive because some certain tool is like causing you to do that, then you're never gonna get to grow there. So it's almost like that snowball effect of because you're so much time in this one tool. I think if you can prove that to the people that are making you hold on to it and why something else is better, then, then I think they'll see the, the ROI on getting rid of it or letting us have time to break it down and rebuild it. I think one of the primary drivers of this is like an immature decision-making process or not involving the, the right stakeholders. And I'll, I'll tell a story without like naming like vendor names, but I'll talk about like, a, like just a solution and it's around like inline editing. And when I joined Qualified uh, 18 months ago, um, we're about like 40 or so employees, but you know, there's software decisions, purchases that have been made by account executives. Um, and, you know, they're, you know, okay, got it. Like, we need this tool. Why are we buying it? Well, I need something for inline editing. And it's like, okay, great. Like, outreach troops. Like, we have four other vendors that actually do some type of inline editing. And, like, if you had the right team and stakeholders here, we would have been able to, like, educate. And we would have actually consolidated and doubled down on an existing vendor instead of bringing one in. So, like, that's, I think, just, like the maturity of the decision like making process and then also just getting the stakeholders involved. Um, all of these tools are doing so much now they're starting to overlap. And I think you've got to like always be identifying that and saying, okay, great. Well, who's doing this better? Who do we have the better relationship with? Who do we want to grow with? And actually like making a decision to like double down on the one. Um, some, I, I'm in a situation where I'm looking at, you know, four logos and I'm like, okay, there's overlap across all four. Um, just making a more informed, organized decision, getting the right people in the room uh, and moving methodically. I love that. Um, and I think the example of an AE wanted this tool and brought it to us, that's coming up more and more with the advent of PLG, a product-led growth, right? Where a sales rep can just hit authorize with Salesforce and all of a sudden, you know, you have a new tool. Um, how do you all think about that? And like on the one hand, I think a bottoms up tool like that, you know, if I think about uh, Lucia at my last company where our reps in Europe were saying, hey, I, we can't get phone numbers and they just signed up for this tool on the side and they actually, you know, sold some deals through the phone numbers they sourced. So all of a sudden there was this whole business case built through one rep hitting authorize, which short, you know, took out our security process and procurement and rev ops and we didn't prioritize for it. 
Um, but it was real and it added a lot of value to that team and to that rep. So how do you think we can toe the line as rev apps and be open to these ideas coming from end users, right? Who are definitely much closer to the day-to-day -day than we are. Um, but how do we also respect that there is a process and a prioritization because that can't run our company? So do you all have any strategies that you've, um, that you've found successful there? And, and how do you toe that line? I mean, we've said it kind of often is like going to the operator and see if they like the tool, right? Because they are on the front line. There's a lot of, I think as a RevOps person, it's good to hear the tool that they want, but to really dig into the why and really dig into the why. Because, you know, you can always automate something. You can always buy a tool, but is that what we really need to do? Can we solve it in-house? Can we do that? But I think it's digging into it. Like, of course, the Lucia, that's a great one, right? Funny enough, we just found out that kind of like EMEA was using Lucia and we we're like, oh, cool. Like, that's great. Awesome. And for the same reason, numbers in, in EMEA, right? But I think if they come to you with a request for a new tool, you really got to break down what are you trying to solve with it? Why do you need it? Or can we not do this with an additional tool? Let's, let's, let's get the people in the room, talk about it and really see what that tool is. Because normally, if you have a pretty mature tech stack, you probably can solve it. And I think something I think about a lot is, like you said, you're looking at four logos, right? They all pretty much do the same thing. It's marginal differences, maybe good for like who your persona is or whatever that you sell to. But um, I think when you have to always consider change cost, how long will it take you to re-implement a tool and strip out one that you have, especially if it's like core tenant? Um, so that's something I think about too. It's like, yeah, that is a really cool flashy tool and I really do like it, but we do this really well here and it's not good enough to justify eight months, like eight weeks of downtime or like lost deals or slowed cycles to justify that marginal difference. So I think that's something that we think about a lot. The, the biggest example I can think of was also an inline editing type solution. Um, I'm a little bit old school in my thinking, but like I want our reps using Salesforce and like that being where they operate from. Um, we also have a similar tool to troops that I like for like the alerts, but I don't let them edit in Slack. Uh, we've, and that's frankly just because like that's how I want us to drive the right behavior around like going inside of the tool and like not just going to edit it before your pipeline meeting, but like actually making it a daily practice and making it more, more valuable. And so when one of our, it was actually one of our interns turned SDR turned A and he's fantastic. And what I love is that he's always like, he loves kind of RevOps enablement. So he's always looking at new tools and he downloaded one of those solutions that he was able to use and like pull out all of our data. And um, I also have some thoughts about that. Um, but Anyway, and like he liked that it was like a nicer UI basically than Salesforce, right? And I sat down with him and I was like, I get it. Like, I get that this is a nicer UI. I get that this is easier. I was like, but this is not going to be able to scale with us, right? Because here's all these things that we're going to need to be able to do in Salesforce. I was like, and if we start, if we start having everyone using all these different tools, it's going to get complicated. So I really believe in having like a lane tech stack as much as possible and like being pretty ruthless about like integration points, overlap, things of that sort. And so me kind of explaining that philosophy and like why that was so important to us went a long way. He was still bummed, but like those are the kinds of behaviors that I think like also having just a kind of enablement um, or operating, which we don't actually have, we're moving towards that. What's it called? A charter, right? Of like, here's our approach um, can be really helpful too in helping making those decisions. 
this is a tough line to toe because you don't want to slow down innovation. And like they're, they are your front lines. They understand the problems in ways that I do not, or maybe even the operating team does not. And we always want to be respectful. Like there's probably a good amount of tools in our tech stack that, that were not stumbled upon by the RevOps team or the systems team, right? It was actually the frontline reps and we love these tools now. So I think it's about pushing that innovation, always pushing the curiosity. We want to be smarter and always be like world-class. So, you know, go out there and do those things, but get us involved. And, and it's, we're not here to slow you down. We're not here to stop you, but we can educate you on overlaps, existing things, and then we will become more informed on your problems. Okay. Um, and I think that that's the, the, the maybe potentially impossible line to toe is how do you drive innovation, but also reel it in and make smart decisions. I love that. Um, one final question, and then we'll open it up uh, to the audience too. Um, I think consolidation is a big theme this year and at this moment. Um, how do you all think about consolidation and how much better does the tool need to be to go find a new vendor for something versus oh, it's all in one place. We already have it. We already have that relationship. Like, do you feel that trade-off or are you really just looking at the output and the tool and is the vendor not really as big of a factor? I think if we're like feeling some type of like operational like pain or we're not getting something and we've identified that as a problem, like that becomes our compelling event, right? Um, hey, we bought this and w our goal was to do X, Y, and Z and we can only do X and Y, right? And we need to address this Z part. So we're going to like open up a, a conversation with another vendor that we think could compare. This is all going to be driven by like business pain or some type of capital savings, right? Um, we're spending too much for a vendor. They're raising prices X, Y, Z. We're not happy with their capabilities. And that would kind of drive us to, to look elsewhere. Um, it's going to start with pain. Uh, I, I think that's the most important thing. You know, if, if you're doing vendors for fun, uh, you'll get inundated like very quickly. Um, and it should always start with a business problem. Um, you want to take it? Sure. No, I did have to. I, I'll try and take it. Well, were you going to say something? Or uh, in okay. a second. Okay. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this, actually. Um, <laughs> so, like, and I'm going to try and explain my perspective without pitching things. But my belief is if you look at most products, like 80% of the values derive from 20% of the features, right? If you look at one of the challenges that I think we're all facing now is if you look at, you know, without trying to name too many vendors specifically, but if you look at the sales engagement platforms and the forecasting platforms and then the conversation intelligence platforms, like they're all kind of like merging to do the same thing, yet we're still, we've invested so much into each one that it's hard to like make that switch over, right? And so I think I don't have an answer to like which one we're going to choose to eventually consolidate to, but I think that's something that's happening more and more. And frankly, that's something that like six years ago when I, I didn't have a RevOps background, I didn't have an enablement background. Like I was looking at these problems from a complete lens of like, we have all these tools, no one's using them, like how do we solve it? And so I was looking at it from like a knowledge and training standpoint. And I was faced with the same challenge in that space, which was looking at KMS, CMS, LMS, DAP, like there were so many different tools. And what all these tools had in common was content, right? But because you could search, it was called one thing because it, you could assess, it was called another. And I was just like, this is just insane. Like there has to be an easier, simpler way. And so ultimately I believe in a consolidated approach and platform approach that said, I do think that there are some 
use cases for choosing best in class and for choosing like that point solution. But I think it's really important to look at the full cost, right? Not just the cost of the user license, et cetera, but implementation costs, like cost of maintenance, because every tool that you add in your tech stack is a massive amount of overhead for, for a team. So I really, really challenge our team on that. Like even with our clearing implementation, I was like, okay, the cost is one thing, right? And it's not, most of these tools aren't massively expensive. The license cost is not what I care about. It's okay, how many weeks or months of our RevOps, one systems person is this gonna take and then to maintain it. And at the end of the day, what are we not doing instead, right? And how do we factor that into the decision of the entire investment? Um, and next year, we're going to be looking at that overlap in a lot more detail. And I want us to take a methodical approach, but I don't know if like the way that we've evaluated software in the past is going to help. So I'm actually excited to like talk to people to think about how are they approaching like that sales engagement, conversation intelligence, like that overlap now that we're all facing to figure out like, how do you make that decision? Right. And I, I don't have an answer to that, but I think that's something that we're going to have to start thinking about a lot more critically. I think you nailed those categories. And I, I was thinking like a, if you looked at a Venn diagram with three cohorts, co quarter over quarter with like those vendors in that space, you're watching these circles grow into essentially like one, right? Um, and there will be eventually potentially like 100%, 90% overlap in some of these tools, but we have the exact same focus in those categories. Yeah, and I'm bringing it back to yesterday's opening keynote about inter like the interconnectivity of your strategy. Um, lean data, I would consider it for us is a very core tool, right? Like I'm not going to operate without it. I'd rather not. I mean, I probably could, but I don't want to go back to those dark days. So I'm always thinking about if I'm going to invest in a tool, does it play well with the other tools I have? Do they have partnership and, and native in integrations with each other that I'm not having to duct tape together with a Zapier or, or, you know, something like, you know, Workado to make it do what I want it to do. And I think, when, like you guys are saying, so many tools are starting to grow in their aspect, right? But at the end of the day, I want to make sure that the one we have plays nicely with everything else, that we can continue that strategy of where our source of truth is, make sure that the SLA times or the teams are happy and um, not just buy a tool because it's, it's flashy or, mar you know, like I said before, marginally better. But if it doesn't play well with the rest of your tech stack, it's going to be a headache for your team forever. So. And I think just looking at like some of our tools that we have at our disposal, even then, like we're using still 10, 20% of the potential. Like we just built out, like we've had Chorus literally since day one. Like I bought Outreach, Salesforce, and Chorus when I was a solo person at the company because I wanted to record all my calls and have every customer interaction I've ever had. And we were, I was really just using it as a fancy call recording tool, which is fine, right? Like it had it value. Then when we started onboarding, we started creating the playlist. It's like, okay, that's still like this much value that a tool like Course can provide. Like we just started creating manager coaching scorecards, actually building a process around it where we have a Slack channel where like each rep is submitting a call per week. And then we have like a call blitz where we're doing a review. Like we weren't doing any of that. And like that has a huge value. So just really challenging. And that's where I challenge our team quite a bit, like our, our revenue leadership, our CS leadership, just like, what more could we be doing to really extract the value from these tools? Because if you're just using a chorus or gong or next alternative as a fancy call recording tool, that 140 or whatever dollar price point is massive compared to like uh, off the shelf recording tool you can get, right? Zoom. But if you're actually utilizing all of that, the rest of that functionality, now you're starting to extract the value on the onboarding side, et cetera. So just something to, as 
as we go into next year that I'm really challenging our team is like, what more value could we be extracting from these tools that we're not today? Thank you. And um, please join me in thanking our panelists. That's great. And uh, we have time here for a couple of questions. Anyone has any? Yeah, and um, we can get you a microphone as well. All right, cool. Go for it. Enabling sales reps on tools and processes, because it's not the standard use case for sales. I'll leave it to you guys first. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're the best person. Well, Mel, you're yeah, Mel, you built a product. Well, you've been what? teed up. <laughs> um, I might have designed a solution around that. Um, so. <laughs> To be honest, I think that that's one of the like most overlooked parts of any solution. So going back to like 20% of features drive 80% of value, right? That kind of like common saying, like so much of what I have to educate our buyers on is that like 80% of the like adoption and like use you're gonna get is gonna come from like the training and change management that you do around it, right? Like that one time, like let's get everyone jazzed about this new tool isn't really gonna do much for how you actually extract the value from that tool. So I think one, a lot of it has to do with first, like building a culture around tool usage, right? And like when it comes to a tool like outreach, if you're just using the sequence functionality, that's fine, but what are best practices that you wanna to, want to train people on? So I think building your enablement strategy around like, okay, how do you actually like what what is the training that people actually need to just like learn the tool for the first time? But then what are the best practices that as an organization you wanna drive into your culture and into those teams is super important. So we use a tool to do that, but there's obviously other ways that you can do that too, whether that's office hours, whether that's building that into your onboarding program, whether, and I think also like that has to have sales leadership buy-in like, and, or CS leadership buy-in if you're talking to your CS team, like, I think the most common mistake is having RevOps or enablement trying to do that on their own and not having the sales leader constantly reinforcing that in your weekly team meetings. And then same thing, managers. The number one piece that teams emit is like the manager reinforcement. And I think companies that really place an emphasis on training the managers on these tools and how they can extract value will end up seeing a lot more adoption than the ones that just focus on the end user or, or high level. Yeah, uh, funny enough, when you were saying like where, I, I handle a lot of enablement and systems uh, for, for my teams. And what I've found to be extremely successful is, well, one, lean on the, the provider of the tool to have open engagement to constantly enable teams, like have training sessions and stuff like that. But on top of that is exactly what you said. If you, I spend probably more of my time training and walking through managers on the tools because if they don't see the value in it, they're not going to push that out of their team. I can, I can train and enable till I'm blue in the face of the rep, but, or like the, the, you know, I see, right. But if I can't get the manager to see the value in it and give them the tools of the, like unlock the ad, not like admin side, but the reporting or the extra layers that the IC doesn't see, um, then they're going to, they're going to want the team to use it. Cause they're like, man, I'm using this reporting. I'm getting this, I'm getting that. Um, and so I do spend, I feel like most of my time to make sure enable happens is with those leaderships that has, uh, the teams that I need to work into it. You find the systems, the systems of the people that are doing it, doing that training in there. I can say we sell, so 
we sell a tool that lives inside of the tool. So without trying to pitch, like at the end of the day, I believe that that tool training should live inside the tool, minimizing the friction to getting to that. That information is important. I can say that it's pretty spread out across our customers. Um, more and more what we are seeing is that like in the like large enterprises, right? So in non-tech, Salesforce as a core CRM typically reports up to an IT department. We're starting to see them hire like a trainer or IT trainer on that team that's responsible for creating that documentation because they know the process uh, and then disseminating that within the org. If you think, think about your traditional kind of like technology teams where like RevOps and they have enablement, et cetera, we see enablement teams mainly creating the content, but they're working with RevOps to get the information from the process. So. Nailed it. I, I think the one thing that I would, I would just add um, and then you kind of touched on it. Enablement has to be always on. Like we're, we have an enablement team does not sit inside of RevOps, it's independent. Um, and we'll work closely with them to, to put together sessions. But in this remote world, like I don't think any of us have figured this out on like engaging sales people remotely. And like, is this actually sinking in? So I'm just going to assume we're not paying attention. You're working on like something else. And this is where you know, like, you know, as you mentioned, continuous enablement, like we need to have these paths, no matter where you are, they're dynamic, they can identify kind of where you're at, what you might be struggling with. And I think that's what our remote sales people and go to market staff need. It's not, hey, go back and review the hour and a half recording where I sat and like did a demo. No, that's never going to happen. Um, it's about having this like real time, always on enablement. And just one quick, super tactical advice, like focus any sort of like the remote sessions you're leading, focus more on just like getting them pumped about like the value to them and the why. Don't waste too much time showing them like the actual like how, because they're not going to remember that. So what we've seen, and we analyze a lot of this content, short videos definitely have the biggest impact. Like rather than spending all the time, like creating like a step-by-step -step process, record that, you know, two minute Loom, Vidyard, whatever it is, and just make sure that those are easily accessible to the end user. If you can't even 30 seconds, sometimes a GIF works, but a 30 second, two minute video and breaking up the process into those will go a lot longer way and frankly take way less time to create than you know documenting things in long form. So. I'll add on one more thing. I think we do a really good job of this at Qualified, which is celebrating the wins, okay? So let's say we bought a tool, it's a sales engagement tool, and Maybe a few people have been like live working or we have some stories about how AEs, SDRs, BDRs have like source deals that have like closed, like amazing win stories, like exactly why we bought this solution. I would start with that. Hey guys, we're here to talk about X vendor, but I would just roll through like a slide and I would have the logo that was closed, how it got closed. I'd celebrate the AE, hand it to them and everybody's, man, I want to be on that slide. You know, okay, got it. They're do they're following these alerts and doing X, Y, and Z, and that's how they're getting these wins. So just making them see the importance there. Cool. Thank you all again. And uh, we'll try to stick around if uh, any of you have questions for us, but thank you for joining. Appreciate it. The OpStars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com and then make sure to search for OpStars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at OpStars and Lean Data, thanks for listening. <laughs>